0: Hello, Candidians, we'll work on that. Hello, everyone, and thank you for welcoming me back into your earholes for another installment of Candid. On this episode, I had the privilege of sitting down with Christina Lopez-Aducci, the founder and CEO of House of Puff, as an appetizer for the episode, and to give you a feel for the kind of drive and chutzpah that Christina embodies as a Latina in the New York cannabis scene, uh, I'll tell you about her mother quickly. She had always worked in real estate, Um, she was raising kids, and one day she up and decided to become a doctor, and she succeeded. So Christina has some amazing role models, but she has also very much forged her own path. During her first cannabis experience, uh, which came relatively late in life, actually, she was stuck with a dirty old bong, and she began to wonder what life might be like if cannabis accessories catered more toward women. That is when House of Puff was born. Christina it was such a pleasure and such a spark on the show, and I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Wow, that's really candid.
1: Wow. The very first time I, I consumed cannabis, I was 27 years old. Wow. Most people are like, really? I never consumed in college. I was sort of a goody two-shoes. So never consumed in college. Dare worked for me. Never (laughs) consumed. I got my master's degree. Never consumed in grad school. And it was only until I moved to New York and the stresses of our beautiful city sometimes wears us down. And I remember thinking, all right, my anxiety is getting worse. I keep hearing about Cannabis my mom's a physician. So let me talk to her. Let me do some research. Lo and behold, the person I was dating at the time, now my husband, was a a cannabis consumer. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to try it. He came over with Blue Dream, of course, which I feel is so many people's first strain that they consume. And Unfortunately, he brought over this really crusty, ugly bong. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I cannot believe my first time is going to be out of this phallic masculine thing, which you know <laughs> leads me to House of Puff, of course. So thank, thank you to the crusty bong. I hope you're in a garbage somewhere. And I never looked back. I took one hit and I was like, oh, my God, I totally get this now. And it was. To Not to be cheesy, it was it was life changing, and it really helped me uh, get in tune with who I was, my creativity, my anxiety. I was sleeping better, I felt better. I started exercising. So that that was my that was my first time.
0: <laughs> That's a pretty good first time. Um, <laughs> it's so interesting when people have that pivotal experience. Right, uh, Sock, the the CEO of Jane, has an experience like that where he consumed. I think he was twenty nine, huh. um, and it just changed his whole his whole outlook. Before that, though, what what was your upbringing like? You mentioned uh, doctor parents, uh, which is which is interesting. What mm. was uh, what was growing What was growing up like, and how did that contribute to maybe not consuming uh, until you're twenty seven?
1: Yeah, so it definitely contributed to me not consuming. I grew up in a very strict Puerto Rican household. My father worked at ShopRite for 35 years, cutting call cuts. So I always say, be nice to your deli man at your grocery store, okay? Uh, my mom worked in real estate, actually, and she was a really good real estate agent. And then when I was five years old, humble beginnings, I mean, we were, a lot of times we had, were on food stamps, right? We I grew up, but I didn't know that, right? I grew up in a very loving household. I didn't know all the it. I thought I had it all, right? And when I was five, my mom sat us down and said, I'm going to pursue my dreams and I'm going to go to medical school. Wow. And we were all like, wait, what? Nobody wanted her to do it. Her parents were very, my my grandparents, they were Pentecostal pastors. So again, when I say strict, I mean, there were no sex, drugs and rock and roll in the in the Lopez house. <laughs> And, and she applied to UMDNJ in Newark, New Jersey, and we couldn't afford a babysitter sometimes, or my dad was working and my, my grandparents were in Puerto Rico a lot. So I would actually go with her to medical school, right? So imagine like growing up with, like, I'm one of those women who just grew up with such a strong Puerto Rican role model. And. I remember her saying to me, do you think I can do this? I mean, I was five. Like, what did I know? I'm like, yeah, like, sure, whatever. Go do your thing, mom. And I was, I said something corny, like if you can dream it, you can do it. (laughs) And my mom never forgot that. And then, you know, fast tracked a couple of years later, I would see her, you know, she graduated top of her class. And there were so many nights where I didn't get to see her. I would see the light underneath her office. So you can sort of, I'm painting the picture of like, Why risk taking is in my DNA and why entrepreneurship? Because that was my role model. And I I always joke, like my mom is like the love of my life. I she's just an icon in my in my eyes. And when she graduated, she had a standing ovation. She brought me up when she got her diploma. And and she wrote a book about it, Girl from the Bronx. And talk about growing up with nothing and then saying, you know, piss off to everybody who didn't believe in her. One of her teachers said. Debbie, you better learn how to type because it's the best she'll probably ever do in life. And she never, and she will. If you ever, if my, if anybody's ever met my mom, she loves telling that story because it's just such a testament to to just putting in the hard work and and saying f off to all of your naysayers. So that that was kind of what, what, what the deal was in the Lopez household. Wow. <laughs>
0: You were getting your master's degree. You mentioned what were you doing before that experience with cannabis and how ultimately did you get to House of Puff? Like, how did how did that story go?
1: Yeah. So my I got my master's degree at William Patterson in New Jersey in International Affairs, thought politics was my journey. I worked for a senator. I had a job offer from the U.N. My undergrad was political science. I still love politics and enjoy it. It was never going to be my career path. I happened to find a job opening at the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's research. So I've always been really attracted to public health and, and nonprofits and, and research and science. I did that for about five years, all the while, though, thinking, I gotta be my own boss. Like I I gotta get at it. it and it was a great experience, but I just knew in my heart when you're an entrepreneur, you, you just you can only suppress it for so long, right? It just starts to bubble out of you. And so I didn't have a lot of friends when I moved to New York. So what I did was I joined all of these museum groups, the MoMA, the Whitney, the Guggenheim. And over the years, my network of people were artists, curators, gallery owners. And I saw, so this is, so I'm a second time entrepreneur. So my first business was called Art Zealous, and it was an art platform. And we did art news in a digestible format, because a lot of the art news you see is really just clunky and hard to understand. And I was talking to people who were like, yeah, I want to support my local Brooklyn gallery, but I don't know where to begin. What do I look for? What's a lithograph? All these, you know, art terminology questions. And I thought, OK, so let me do like a buzzfeed of the art world and just make it short form. And it was really, really successful. Um, And I interviewed, I don't know, over 500 artists. And it was a really, really great experience. But that's where I sort of honed my PR skills, my content marketing skills, my creative eye. And then cut to 27 when I was smoking out of this thing. Uh, I thought, okay, so there's got to be stuff out there for women like me, right? I'm a stylish New Yorker. I have a nice apartment, I'm an art collector. And at the time, I guess this is like four or five years ago, there really wasn't anything. The green wave was starting to happen. You know, there were more people coming online and producing accessories. And I thought, okay, well, accessories seems like a really good like approach. Like I can solve this problem. I can reach out to the artists that I know on my network. And that's what I did. And I said, who can make me a beautiful, and it was all based on my needs, right? I wanted something I could fit in my back pocket or my handbag, something that Abuela would look at and not really know what it is. Like till this day, she still thinks, well, God rest her soul, it was a lipstick holder, it was not. So so that's what I did. So I went out to my network and that's sort of how it was born. And I did a hundred MVP products and it was our one hitter it came with instructions a candle and then and then i got pregnant with my twins and everything just sort of like came to a screeching halt <laughs> so i i realized that i was onto something and i couldn't do both businesses so i reached out to a somebody i worked with at the Mar- magazine holly hager and I said, and I was sure thought, okay, she's gonna buy the art magazine so I can. At this point, investors are starting to trickle in. Hey, what are you doing? I'm interested. I was on Cheddar TV. I was getting all this organic press. And I thought, okay, I need to focus on House of Puff full time. I have to sell the art business. So when I went to go meet with Holly, I had all I had this beautiful binder of my numbers and I was just ready to just sell it and 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 move on. And she said to me actually not interested in your art business I'm interested what you're doing at house up off and I was like I was like what I was like you consume cannabis because again this was still I mean until this day the stigma is very much real especially with women especially in the northeast right we're not like our west coast counterparts where we're just openly talking about it all the time and I was like blown away and I was like okay Uh, you know I had my twins I knew I needed to take this to the next level. So I said, "All right, let's date." So we started dating as co-founders, because I didn't know if it was going to work. Lo and behold, it did. And, and now here we are. We're, we're in an active seed raise, which is so crazy and so exciting and so fun. We've, we've you know, we house of puff empowers women to consume cannabis unapologetically by making it chic and easy. And uh, we like to say we're bringing cannabis out of the head shop. And into high society
0: <laughs> love that talk to me about investors talk to me about fundraising um how has oh, your yeah. experience been are there bad actors and in- i know the answer to that but i I'd i was love gonna to hear. say you know the answer to that <laughs> i absolutely do um how has your experience been
1: it has been um difficult exciting I think you probably know the stats on how much uh, VC funding goes to women, uh, mm-hmm. less than 2% and then even less to, to women of, of color. So when I'm talking to investors, surprise, surprise, most of them are white males and I will get the typical, I get what you're doing, but I'm not your audience. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, well, of course you're not my audience, but as an investor, you're supposed to see the vision, right? You're supposed to identify the next big thing, right? We all know women are the fastest growing segment in cannabis today. The other thing is there are not a lot of female investors in the cannabis space. So when they're saying I'm not your audience, well, the, again, I don't even know the stats on how many female investors are in the cannabis space, probably abysmal. Um, but I try to remind myself, stats aside, I get to do what I love every day. And I get to share my story. And we we're launching a, a women-led SPV. So that's exciting. So, all in all, I'm trying to have fun with it. It's my you're you're actually the first person I'm talking to this week that you're not not investor related. I'm having a fun conversation. So this is I a breath could. of fresh air. Um <laughs> But whenever I, you know, tell that whenever I tell people about what where we are in our fundraising process, I always like to say how my mother says "gonganas" and in Spanish that translate "do it with spirit." Just follow your passion. And so I know one day we will have millions and millions of dollars pouring in, and all the investors that passed on our seed round are not invited to my Series A. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that's fair. How has your experience been in? Uh, the cannabis space specifically, because we know BC stats are what they are and they are abysmal. I completely agree. Um, has cannabis been accepting of you as a, as a woman? Have you had barriers? How has that experience been?
1: It's been fantastic. Definitely a departure from the art world. Hmm. I would say the women in this space are incredible. I mean, you had Annie Davis on she's one of She's, I, and I just met her and she's one of those people who is uplifting everybody she meets, specifically women, specifically women of color. I have just been so fortunate to surround myself with, I have an amazing advisory board that just really believe in my vision and believe in what we're doing. And so I would say the, the women in the cannabis space and people like you who are, who use their platform for people like me, right? It's been it's been a fantastic journey, I will say. Some of my best friends now work in cannabis. Um, and if I weren't in cannabis, I don't know if I'd ever met them and they've changed my life.
0: Tell me a little bit about the nitty-gritty uh, business stuff. What 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 is the go-to-market strategy for House of Puff? Is it highly digital? Or are you going knocking on doors at at dispensaries? What
1: how does it work? <laughs> Um, So it's a combination, right? So during the pandemic, so we sell direct to our consumer, right? Houseofpuff.com. We also have, uh, we're in 35 retailers across the country. And what we did during the pandemic, when a lot of the stores that were carrying us, unfortunately shuttered, was we pivoted. We thought, okay, our consumer is at home, they're online. I did not want to start a blog. I, I'll tell you that right now. I was like, "Nope, not doing it." We don't have time. We're a, we're a small team. Well, thank God we did because <laughs> we launched the drawing room. And here's a fun stat: from forty-six thousand a reach of four, digital reach of forty-six thousand to now, we're at like three point four million. So wow. do the math on that. It's like seventy-four x. We launched a YouTube channel less than a year ago. And I think over 500,000 people have watched learning how to roll the perfect joint with me, right? So we've really hit this uh, content marketing stride, which I'm not really sure a lot of people in the cannabis space are paying attention to, especially YouTube. Like, I don't know if you know a lot of brands that are paying attention to the video space, but it's, it's the ROI on our YouTube channel. Now we're getting paid sponsorships from a lot of MSOs for us to produce content for them, yeah, so it's 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 been really exciting. and we're hitting the northeast hard. We have market share in the Northeast, New Jersey, New York, uh, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. Everybody's falling like dominoes. We're addressing the the canon nervous, the newbie, right? the, the, can the person, nervous. I like that the, the person is like, "Am I coming out of the cannabis closet or not? like i'm i'm'm I'm nervous. I don't know what to do. And the video, it's it's a format of, you know, today and the future, right? It's the second largest search engine op- behind Google. And it, it increases organic traffic, improves retention. I think it boosted our conversion by 2x. And we're producing evergreen content. So it might sound silly to people listening to this who have been rolling joints since they were, I don't know, 18. <laughs> but the Northeast is a very different uh set of customers right some people still don't know how to pack a pre-rolled cone right so we're going back to the basics and it's we're addressing consumer friction and because the real at the end of the day the real problem we're trying to solve is how do we get more people to consume cannabis and feel good about it
0: talk to me about advertising so obviously uh traditional channels aren't available for plant touching businesses but given that you're a hardware company. Can you can you advertise just anywhere you want? How does that work?
1: Yeah. So it's it's still tough. We're still shadow banned on Instagram and Facebook. We cannot run ads, unfortunately, on those. Even TikTok. We'll we'll post a TikTok video. Even if our our little we make these beautiful herb bowls, we can't even put. Well, that'll get it taken down in in thirty seconds. And so, programmatic ads is something that we're exploring. We, of course, need capital to run successful programmatic ads, (laughs) but we don't touch the plant. So we we do have a leg up, uh, but it's still difficult.
0: How do people react when you share what you do for a living and and how open are you? Like what what degree of, of communication do you have around your cannabis use in your profession?
1: I'm very open. I'm an open book. There's pretty much not something I won't, I will answer any question. And I think I told you that like all, nothing is off limits. That's just how I am. I, again, growing up in a strict Puerto Rican household, it was always around the dinner table, pochinchando, AKA gossiping, tell me how you feel, not holding it in. So I'm very open with what I do. I, the other day I was dropping off my twins at school. And I have my buy weed from women sweatshirt that I wear almost every day. And sometimes I'll put my jacket over. But lately, I'm just like, you know what? I'm not doing this. I'm taking my jacket off. <laughs> it, and I will get, you know, uh, oh, my God, is she wearing that? To I love your sweatshirt, like yelling from across the parking lot. Yeah. So it's a mix. I get mixed reactions. Ask me if I care. Not really. I'm. I'm, I'm proud to work in the cannabis space, uh, but there is obviously a stigma. There's a stigma around being a woman. There's a stigma around being a woman of color. And then there's a stigma that I'm a mom. So I, I try not to let it bother me. I try to educate, educate, educate. I was talking to Carson, the CEO of Vanks. And I said to her, how do, how do we go about these naysayers? And she's like, just kill them with stats. Stats, stats, stats. Yeah. Most of them are using it for anxiety and stress, and 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 aches and pains and sleep. And if we can just start educating them and sharing the stories, you know, mom was in had chemo and it helped her, or I, you know, have really bad insomnia and it helped me. And if we start just sharing our personal journeys as as opposed to hiding it, that's how we sort of normalize this conversation and and we accelerate uh, destigmatization. And so I'm happy to talk to moms who uh, are nervous about it, who judge me, because at the end of the conversation, most times they're like, oh, I totally get it. So,
0: yeah, I, I find the most common reaction, somebody, somebody telling me that they love Camino gummies or somebody <laughs> telling me like they love wild gummies, but doing it very quietly. Right. So right. it's still they, everyone, everyone is on the same page. We're just being a little bit too quiet about it.
1: Right. Yeah. And I am very open at the end of the day when my twins, who are three, I call them my little trolls. I love them. But at the end of the day, I'm tired. <laughs> I just want to go to bed and I pop my little garden society into Kagumi. And it is Sleepy Town, USA. And I wake up refreshed, feeling good and a better mom
0: are some of your favorite products on the market right now
1: so it's funny that when i saw that what gets me is the terpene pinene. for some reason my body does not love that terpene so just a little just a little note i love like most people i love me some pure beauty mini joints they just i i can't tell you how wonderful i feel even after just a puff or two Uh It's just great quality flower, beautiful packaging. I love the women who are running it. So I would say definitely a pure beauty. In terms of CBD, again, stressed out mom. I love Tonic it, based in New York, Cola Farms. They make this CBD body scrub thing that you can put in your bath. I, I kid you not, if you add a cup of it to your bath, you like will stand up and you will feel like jello and absolutely sleepy. And it just sets me in the right space and mood. I cannot survive without it. It is incredible. So I would say those are my two favorite products at the moment.
0: Take me through a day in the life. I'm always interested. What What is your routine in the morning? What do you do throughout the day? What what happens at night? Take me through it.
1: Yeah. I wish I could tell you that I'm one of those people who gets up and meditate and (laughs) go for a run. I absolutely do not do that. I always have a cup of coffee. Like that's the first thing I do. Well, I take a probiotic and then I have my cup of coffee. I will get my girls dressed. We'll have breakfast. I'll watch the news. And then it's down. We have a, we have a, an office in Times Square. So sometimes I will take the train in two days a week. So sometimes I'll go there, check in on the office. Most of the time I'm home because of my girls. I want to be home with them when they get home from school. So I just come down into my lair where I'm speaking from. It's my basement and I have my YouTube studio here. I have my, my post-it notes inspired by the Silicon Valley season one, where it was like icebox emergency in progress and complete. So I will literally look at my post-it notes and if I don't move one post-it note by noon, something is terribly, <laughs> terribly wrong. I'm not really, I don't have time to work out. So I try to eat good, but most of the time I'm eating like a frozen Trader Joe's taquito.
0: Which are excellent, by the way, in your defense.
1: Aren't they really good though? <laughs> yeah. So it takes me 30 seconds. So I'm always trying to be as efficient as possible with my time because by the time 3, 3.30 rolls around, I sort of like to, you know, I know my kids are going to be home, so I like to dial it back. They go down and I still work. I, we have dinner together because, again, like Puerto Ricans, got to have dinner in, on the table, no TV, no cell phones. We live on a preserve, so we'll walk. And then they'll, they're in bed by 7 o'clock and I'm unfortunately or fortunately back on my laptop, My you know, God bless my husband. And I don't probably snooze until 9, 9.30, but then I still, I secretly just have like my computer, my laptop in bed while I have, you know, the expanse on in the background or, or some show that I've watched 25 times, but I need like background TV to say, Sina, you should be watching TV, not working. So, and then I'll pop my Garden Society edible and then I'm out.
0: <laughs> Do you consume during the workday?
1: I don't, I don't, I can't. I. That? I, I don't know why some people can. if like maybe on a Friday when I know my husband's home and the family's home and I have a light day and it's like 2, 2.30 and it's like nice outside, I'll maybe pop like 2.5 MGs just cause I'm like, hey, it's Friday. Maybe I'll like bang out this email quicker than I would if I was not <laughs> gonna consume an edible. But most of the time I know I, I gotta, it's just, it's coffee and water. <laughs>
0: in the trade shows that I've, that I've been to and the ones where consuming was widely accepted, which is most of them. Uh-huh. Um, I'm always impressed with people that can, that can smoke a whole joint to the face and then have a business meeting. I can't, I'd get confused. <laughs> I would quote the wrong numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: same. <laughs>
0: Christina, tell me about your team at House of Puff. What does your team look like? How are you hiring and staffing up? Um, tell me about that.
1: So <laughs> we are a very small team. We So as I mentioned, Holly, she's our COO. She is in charge of production, finance, legal, biz dev. She also had an art magazine prior to this. I always joke that I'm the face of the brand and Holly keeps the lights on. And it really (laughs) is true. She's just a multi-talented creative entrepreneur. And I don't know where... I would be without her truly. Like I even get emotional thinking about how lucky I am that I have a co-founder who is as talented and resilient as Holly. We have extended teams of consultants, um, Gigi, uh, Geraldine May Cueva, which I'm sure a lot of people know if you're out in Cali. Uh, she's in charge of retail partnerships and sales. She's also the founder of Art in Time's uh, Chill Showroom. We love working with her. Um, Alcove Ali Pasaro Grant, who who owned Alcove, uh, it was in Lower East Side in New York. She does a lot of our content creation and photography. We just hired a social media manager, which is exciting because it was getting to the point, Brian, where I was logging on Instagram and I was I don't even know what I'm posting. Like, what am I doing? I I, I like copy and captions. I I was just like, no, I I can't do this anymore. So, Prathima, she does social media management. And yeah, we're in all. I just realized. Oh my God, we're all women. Oh, we're not all women of color. Holly's Holly's the only white woman, but we're all women. So uh, we're we're excited once once we close our round to, to really stack up, especially uh, on the paid marketing, programmatic ads front, and sales and all that good stuff. So small but mighty. We're lean machine.
0: <laughs> New York cannabis. What is? <laughs> What is the culture like? How you know? Because oh I God. I lived in uh, in Greenpoint for a few years and oh. I, I, I had a bike guy and he would show up and it was wonderful and he was super pleasant. Talk to me about the the differences maybe in New York cannabis culture versus what you've been exposed to in the rest of the country.
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> New York cannabis is just is flipping amazing. It is it is the <laughs> wild west out here. We are the cultural capital. We are the fashion capital. We are the media capital. And we are the, I think we're the largest consumers of cannabis. I th- I know people think it's California, but I'm pretty sure it's New York City. It's, it's an exciting time to be here, I have to say. And I'm sure you've been following everything going on with the legalization and the MRTA and all of the, you know, especially the seeding opportunity that hopeful just announced. Mm -hmm. um which would allow hemp farmers to apply for a license to grow cannabis um essentially a a conditional adult use cultivator license and then that was quickly followed by the um the regulation for conditional adult use retail dispensaries Mm -hmm. again these retail dispensaries must be owned by equity entrepreneurs who had a prior cannabis related criminal offense offense so there's a lot of shit going on. Sorry, can I not curse?
0: You can absolutely curse.
1: <laughs> okay. There is a, when I say it's the wild west, it's it's an exciting time to be out here. House of Puff is, you know, of course, we would be silly not to explore our own opportunities. So we're still, you know, sussing out strategic uh, capital partners. But it, I think by 2023, when the East Coast is fully legal, Eighty percent of the population, so that's that's really really exciting, um, you know. But it also comes with its uh, bumps, if you will, especially as when it comes to access to capital and diversity.
0: Do you think? I mean, all too often when we're when we're finalizing regulations, social equity is uh, a box to check, right? It's like we're going to give a hundred licenses to to these mm-hmm. people, and they are still very much subject to predatory partnerships. I think. Have you seen it done well anywhere?
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) Listen, I think I will say this. I do think that the state of New York and what HOPEL is doing, we are making history. We made history with the MRTA, right? And I think when it comes to access to capital, we all know about the state's $200 million social equity fund, which is fantastic. Let me just say that. Number mm-hmm. one. It does not entirely move the needle. And that's what people need to understand. Think about how much it costs to open up a dispensary, right? What are we one to two million? Maybe everything's more expensive in New York. So who knows? Then like indoor cultivation with a, I don't know, a couple thousand square feet. That's what, four to five million? So while it's, a, so do the math. So while it's a step in the right direction, it's only gonna cover a small percent of the capital that's like really needed. So not only do we need to give it to, give licenses to, to diverse applicants, which great, check, that's what we're they're attempting to do and that's the goal, um, but they're gonna need to make sure that these people have capital to finance their business, right? And besides capital, adding value beyond capital right will be crucial workforce education incubator programs Mm -hmm. um and and, and stuff like that so it's exciting hasselpuff is so pumped to be here on the ground floor this is only the first and second inning and we get to build it how we want to build it and it's it's i'm i'm a proud new yorker to say the least
0: (laughs) so legalization in general um, creating a CPG market. This is a, this is a retail market, right? That's, it's, it's not rocket science. Um, but often I wonder, is legalization inherently a good thing?
1: I think so, especially when it comes to products, right? As when you, for House of Puff, we're, we're talking about the new consumers, the can and Nervous, as I mentioned, These products have to be tested, right? We want to make sure that they, that people are walking in to a regulated market and getting the products that are good for them. And it's unfortunate to see these sticker shops, right? They're like, hey, buy a sticker and here's some cannabis. It's not been tested. It could harm somebody. Um, but not all legacy operators are, are are doing that, by the way, there are and I'm friends with a lot of these legacy operators, but we're asking people not to jump ahead, but we're asking people to all of a sudden just trust the government, right? And just <laughs> go, like, here, like, here all my ta- tax information. And so it's, it's, it's going to be a tricky dance. And we're starting to see the gray market pop up more and more in New York. So. While I support legacy and I want to see legacy operators thrive and succeed, I don't like these, I don't like people coming online like, you know, yesterday saying, all right, I'm going to just open up a shop and you buy a t-shirt, I'm going to give you cannabis. That's, in my mind, that's not legacy. That's, you're just trying to, you know, get ahead of the curve and, and, and not follow the rules. And I'm a rule follower, Brian. I don't know if you could tell I'm a rule follower, so- I respect the rules.
0: <laughs> Those are not really the the soul of the legacy market. The soul of the legacy market is access to cannabis, right? I think ultimately that's what we're trying to solve. And then what gets in the way is tax regulation and predatory lending and all the garbage that we're dealing with today. But I'm a rule follower too, by the way.
1: <laughs> I could tell. I could tell. We're gonna we're gonna get along just fine. <laughs>
0: we'll be we'll be great. Yeah. Talk to me about uh, natural medicine. And by that, I mean, we've, we've come to a point, you're clearly a champion for the cannabis plant, um, which I happen to think is a good thing for humanity, as lofty as that sounds. I think this is a noble mission. Um, what about other natural medicines? So psychedelics are, are starting to trickle into the market as, as a real viable uh, substitute for pharmaceuticals. Um, right. Where's your head at with respect to to other natural medicines?
1: I'm here for it. I love it. I think it's the future. As somebody who has suffered from generalized anxiety disorder and and depression, everything I've been reading about psychedelics in that space uh, leads me to believe that that is something that we can all benefit from. For me as, as a patient, I have imbibed once or twice and I think it's an absolute game changer. And I think we're starting to see people really get on board. Big pharma is going to be an issue, right? They, mm-hmm. they don't want that. Um, so keeping a close eye on the psychedelics market for sure. Believe in it. Believe in all plant medicine. It's been here, long, here longer than us. So.
0: Yeah. Tell me, uh, would you mind sharing one of those experiences where you partook?
1: Okay, so I was um, I was on a yacht. Oh, I hate. Like, that makes me sound. That's like a great an start.
0: <laughs> that is such a great start.
1: <laughs> and I was given a, a microdose. I guess that, that's how it was. And, you know, it was a safe environment amongst actually a, a cannabis crew that I'm sure you're familiar with. And I thought, all right, like I'm on a yacht. Like this is like what better place. And again, it was the, it was, it reminded me of the first time I consumed cannabis. It was like this instant unlocking of just all of my worries and over, I'm an overthinker and an overanalyzer and all that sort of just, it quieted my mind and I felt so happy and so good. And I looked around the yacht and I thought, how did I get here? Like, how lucky am I? like, I just felt just pure bliss and happiness. And it was it was such a memorable experience that I, I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> yeah.
0: I love the sentiment of unlocking, because really, what I think plant medicine allows at least me to do, and probably you and many other people, is uh, take a step back and appreciate the current moment, which all too yeah. often we don't do. And it doesn't feel uh, manufactured. It feels yeah. very natural and organic. And that's... that's um, I agree with you. In, in five years, what is a, a perfect uh, scenario for House of Puff? What are, you, what are you doing? How big are you? What, what does it look like?
1: Uh, are we a unicorn? I hope we're a unicorn. Uh, I don't know. But five-year goal is, well, number one, you know, we want to be synonymous with New York City women in weed in every sense of the phrase. We want to show the world how fucking chic cannabis can be. It. We want to so completely destigmatize cannabis that in five years, it is as normal to offer your guests a house of puff pre-roll as it is to offer them a drink.
0: What do you <laughs> want to be re- remembered for in the in the industry by your family? What 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 is your oh. legacy? See, I told you it was a tough one.
1: <clears throat> My goodness, this is a tough one. I want to be remembered as a trailblazer. I want to be remembered as somebody who brought along women and women of color and uplifted them and inspired them to take risks in their life. I want to be remembered as somebody who was unapologetic. I want to be remembered as somebody who moved the, the needle forward in this space um, in the most inclusive beautiful way possible
0: (laughs) christina that was phenomenally enjoyable i hope you had a good time Um, this
1: was one of my favorites i have to say
0: good i'm so glad well thank you thank you so much for joining me this was awesome
1: brian awesome to meet you i hope to meet in real life one day
0: absolutely we'll do it soon